All right. Yes, yes, I hear you. Want to get going? Give me like half a second to kind of, I just, I ran the door. How's the coffee? Oh man, it's, it's, it's gnarly for me, man. It's a, it's a, it's like a, you know. Do you add a shot of espresso or anything? Nah, I just get, um, just Americana black. All right. I'm not quite ready still. Your background is much cooler than mine. I'm not... Yeah, yeah, give us that. Uh, for those of of you listening, Dave, what kind of art do you have hanging behind you? Oh, that's uh, uh Lindsay Jacobus. Um, what's it called when you make an artist paint for you? A uh, commission. This is the uh, first painting I've ever commissioned, and um, yeah, it's 1993, and Raleigh, the dudes from uh. Endless Grind are having some kind of debate with an officer, and they have no idea that 30 something years later, they're on the wall in Peru. And and the aesthetic of the clothes is just so unique to the time period. And yeah, it is. we're going to get into all that. So let's roll. <laughs> this is episode 24. Speaking from water, I'm your host, Sean Rutke. And guys, today we have a very special treat. We have a true philosopher of surfing with us. He has been around since uh, the early 80s, paying attention to the aesthetic that is surfing. He is a mathematician, an expert in the subject, currently teaching in Peru surfing big waves, teaching the elite children of Peru. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dave DeRosco. Dave, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Yeah, thank you, Sean, for having me. Let's do it. Dave, um, let's let's just go to this, this place of, of surfing. Uh, we've had lots of chats in the past about what it is um i would like you to explain or from your perspective what surfing is um okay you always hit me with the hardest question um okay surfing um it, it's crazy. I've never thought about trying to define this before, but like I, I've got a movie I've been working on for ages and I'm I'm trying to figure out what love is. And I and I throw the camera in people's face and I say, what is love? And put them on the spot and I get the best, the best reactions. And it's crazy because I can't really do everybody knows what love is, but it's hard to define. And math is like that too. I, a couple of years ago I started tripping that I don't know I'm a math teacher, but I don't really know what math is. And um and I, and I really thought on it for a long time. And I asked my kids at the start of every year and I asked other math teachers, and I've been working on it, but you just absolutely stumped me. I, I've oh, got some answers, like they, I've got some pre-made answers that are like related to that, but like, what you, I mean, you're, this, you're playing on waves and it's something really special. And when you ever try to explain why it's special, 
usually doesn't sound good because you come up so short. Like when I hear people try to talk about why they love surfing, not necessarily define it, but why they love surfing. If you if you dictated it and hit true false, I'd hit true to everything, but it still makes me cringe hearing them say it because it's they're coming so short, you know. But um, dude, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Um, next question. <laughs> okay, what isn't surfing? What isn't surfing? Being stuck in traffic, hanging out in the airport. I mean, I guess it can be if you really got it like that, you know? Um, I can't remember what video it was, but I saw a video of some old dude who, uh, he was sitting on the beach somewhere and it just clicked that he didn't have to paddle out anymore. And he just monitored for about 10 years. And one day he felt like getting wet, paddled back out. And I remember loving that. Like the dude just figured out how to surf without being able to surf. Um, and I think I remembered a little bit, not in my answer to what is surfing, but where I was going with that before. The, oh yeah, playing on waves. So, so we're playing on waves. Um, right now we're playing with waves. Like I'm looking at this stuff in the background of you and it's got color, you know, and I can see the color and I'm wondering. I think, but it's, th those, those are waves, you know, that I'm seeing, light waves that are, that are helping me with the color. And to hear me, these are sound waves. And then like, you know, you know, people talk about bobs and stuff. There's clearly waves that come out of us. You know, like you can tell when somebody's irritated or you can tell when somebody's stoked that there's definitely some kind of waves there that we all know are there, but we hadn't figured out how to measure. And I think there's heaps of other kinds of waves that we haven't even thought of that are out there. But just obviously waves are really important. And it seems to me that the ocean has the slowest or gentlest are easiest waves to really, really interact with. So I don't really know what I'm saying. I know it doesn't completely make sense, but there's, you know, we're exchanging stuff with sound waves, we're exchanging stuff with light waves. And to have a have a slow moving wave that, you know, rolls from when North Swell comes past Hawaii and a week later hits Peru and we're we're playing, we're playing on something like sound and light, you know? So it's I just know that it's really, really special, but Obviously, I don't think anybody can really lock it down or, ha or hasn't yet for me. So you don't think the, the, the question, what is surfing, can really be answered? Mm, I guess that's what I'm saying. Oh, man, I don't, you know, just um, flying down a wave, you know, like yelling with your friends. Um, feeling the ocean, you know, I mean, you know, just at Wrightsville, floating in the water at Sea Street or the South End, it has a different feel. And if you go all the way down to Carolina Beach, it's got a, it's got a way different feel, you know, and then if you fly over to Oregon, and you climb over some trees, and the, and the waves are splashing off the rocks, and you're looking up at all the green, there's like a, I don't know, you're just crashing into nature. I don't, yeah. So do you, do you need to ride a surfboard to to ride a wave? No, for sure. Like I was talking about that that hippie dude I saw in that movie. Like I believe that completely. You can mind surf. Um, my body won't really let me skate anymore, and I used to be really bummed on that for for a long time. But I really believe that like 
like it's a it's a lens to to interpret life like i like i still feel like i'm a skateboarder even though i can't really roll around physically on my board but no no i mean you can you can body surf you can you can ride all sorts of boards you can be on the wave you can be on the beach and i think if you really got it going on you could take it to the airport or take it to traffic you know i'm not really there yet but i i really think that it's um that it, it just starts on the wave you know and you can you can take it with you can you um, tell us about when it was that you first discovered uh, the culture of surfing and knew that that this was something special? Man, I think it was like it's it's really it's it's really weird, but I think it's like like I was almost born with it or something. Um, my very very first little intro, my dad had a little wooden skateboard with little teeny trucks. I think it might looked like they were made out of cement, had little ball bearings, but that was just in the garage. And I just gravitated to that. I'd be, I was super little. I don't little enough that I was skating down the road in my whitey tighties and you know, that was okay. But, uh, but I'd roll up and down my road on that. And I really didn't know what surfing was at all. I, I had, uh, my dad was a good body surfer and my parents had a, um, had a little condo at the, actually they had two, one at the North end and South end of Carolina beach, the riggings and the breakers. I can't remember which is which, but like I would ride on my dad, I'd hang on to my dad's neck and ride on waves, but I, I don't think I'd ever even seen a surfboard. But anyway, I'm riding out his little skateboard up and down the road, and there's a white house fans down on the corner of Yorkshire and Dover. And in the garage, there was a yellow single fan, and it just called to me. Like I, I was so stoked every time the garage door was open, I'd stare at it. And I used to bang on the neighbor's doors and sweep their uh, front porch and their, uh, sidewalk for a quarter i remember saving up like eight bucks and i can't remember i think i did knock on the door and he didn't want to sell it but maybe not maybe i never even went over there but i i, I like i wanted that know what it was and then getting around to getting any waves it's like a lot of people that started with bodyboarding um shannon and jake miller gnarly rippers they're awesome surfers and awesome bodyboarders but our parents were friends and we go to the beach with the millers and they kind of got us into it and I remember my first bodyboard, it was a yellow Aussie one, Moray Boogie, without a hard bottom. And then we went to uh, K&K Toys at Independence Mall, and Michael got a fresh new one, and it was an Aussie two. And the difference was it had a little bit of a fishtail. And his was bright orange, mine was yellow. They were both white on the bottom and didn't have a hard bottom. Now, of course, no flippers. But, man, we would we would ride waves and just – we couldn't really get online, I don't think, but we – cut back and forth in the white water and we'd high five each other and it was everything man the exact same as it is now you know i mean it was just i knew this wasn't a toy i knew i wasn't playing like it was it was everything when, when was it then that you got your first surfboard and and rode your first wave do you remember that yeah, man, I'm trying. I, I knew I knew this was gonna come up, so I've been preparing for this, trying to find the first board. Me and Michael got some hollow plastic thing at Redix that I think it was made for dragging behind a boat, and it didn't really have a fin. It had like something about like this long, like kind of like a almost like a two by four sticking out of the bottom of it. But we didn't have much success on that. Um, I remember going to Surf City, and we got. I can't pronounce the dude's last name. I want to. I always called it Scroff my whole life, and I recently found out Peter Scroff. It's not pronounced Scroff. I can't remember how you say his name, but he's the dude with the chainsaws right now. I don't know if you've seen him that like really hates Kelly Slater and 
does the performance art where he's cutting up the fire wires. Really, really, really interesting dude. But um, he was kind of like Sean Stuthi's like competitor. I think they were in like the same neighborhood, maybe in Newport or something, 80s. But anyway, I got a quad fin for 35 bucks. It was yellow on top. It had like two uh, tank treads on it. But I got clowned really hard for having the quad fin. Like nobody, nobody seen a quad fin. It's like twin fins, single fins, thumbs down. You got to have a thruster. I had the quad fin. I was getting laughed at. And Michael, what, what year uh, was this? Late '80s. I'm probably fifth grade, maybe a little, maybe fourth. I don't know. But Michael got the quiet flight twin fin, which was way prettier. But he still got clowned for having two fins. And we waxed up the bottom of the board. We waxed up the fins for speed. And we got out there. We didn't know what, you know, nobody's nobody's telling us anything. And um, I think it, Michael says we got it quicker. Maybe he did, but I think it, uh, I think it took me two years to stand up. Like I had to, I mean, I didn't like, I wasn't like Shannon and Jake and just instantly killing it. You know, like, I mean, it took just, we, we just paddle out and be completely flat. We'd be like, should we paddle out farther, you know, and. It, it took us a minute to figure it out. I think actually the first time I stood up, it might have been at Hamlet Street at C, and I was on my neighbor's board. I was on this WRV, and I, I think I surfed past Michael, and he might have been on a bodyboard, and he grabbed my leash, and I was so tiny, and the, the it was probably like a 6'4", it was like my neighbor was like 16. I remember this white WRV with the blue logo. But Michael's like holding on to the leash and it didn't make me fall or anything. I was like pulling him along at Hamlet Street. And then that could have been the first time or me and Michael definitely had a day in front of station one where we were we were both standing up like consistently. We we're on the, the scroff. I know I'm saying it wrong. Sorry, Peter Scroff. I'm sure you're not watching. But uh, Michael's on the quiet flight. And I, I remember I was cheating like crazy, though. I'd, I'd pop up drop name because I bodyboarded, you know, and then I'd get my back foot up and ride the whitewater, but, you know, we were stuck. That's, that's funny you say that. This, uh, this green Scott right here, th this was the first board that I, I um, attempted the, the ocean ride waves with, and it was, it was always a stand-up situation. Uh, let me see that. Let me see the bottom of it. I had to have uh, the Quicksilver sticker because I was obsessed with um, Jimmy Slade on Baywatch and Kelly Slater had had that. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I gotta if I have that, I'm gonna have more power. And uh, th this was the first object that I took into the Ocean City, so I can totally relate to the. And for those of you listening and not watching, that is a green Scott, the edge surf, uh, excuse me, bodyboard. And it had slick edges. And I thought, ooh, that's going to make me just go flying down the wave. And I would uh, really try to stand up on it because I knew surfing was premium in my mind compared to bodyboarding. I know that's a controversial topic, but um, always standing, I believe, to be better than laying down. But I, I wasn't there yet. So I knew I needed to go. Can, can you kind of say something about that kind of thought process in a young person when they approach the ocean? They might not have a surfboard, but they want to stand up on something. Um, man, honestly, I didn't have, I didn't have that. I didn't really care. I mean, I was just, I just wanted to ride waves and I, it was such a struggle for me. I never considered standing on my bodyboard until I was like much, much older and better at surfing. And then I, then I kind of enjoyed it. But at the time other people could do it, but yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even consider it, but I do, I do absolutely on old bodyboards. I was stoked just to 
look at that thing. I, you know, the um, there's so many different ones, but the um, the turbos they were super expensive. The turbo Hawaii, and they had the extra extra hard bottom and some of those weird graphics on top. But I they also made some. Fi- they had fins too. They made turbo fins, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. The um, a big. I wanted to talk about my second bodyboard because it was really everything, man. Like Bird Surf Shop, sixty five bucks, a low end Wave Rebel. It wasn't um, it wasn't one of the pro models or anything. It was blue and white, but dude, that slick bottom on the it made all the difference. You know, I mean, it just opened the the ocean, opened the universe up for me. And I remember um, I, I decorated it myself. No Quicksilver stickers. Um, I had a big peace sign drawn on the bottom, and I had flames like the peace sign was on fire, and I. I'm trying to remember the Gulf War was sixth grade. So this is getting pretty close. I remember I had blood's worth more than oil written on my backpack, but I think that uh, the flaming peace sign was was a political kind of thing. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I just thought it was cool looking. And then um, there was a rusty video called No Thrills Pocket. And that just like grabbed me when I read that title. I was like, sick. So I had no thrills for the cost. It's written on the nose to like remind myself to charge and not pull back or whatever. And I didn't have uh, I didn't have flippers yet. I had the webbed webbed gloves, and I kind of wiped the water off my nose, and it would like rash up the tip of my nose. But I had those webs; they're sick. So w- when did you transfer to the surfboard? Probably full on when I was 17 or 18, my senior year of high school. Like I had surfboards around the house, um, but I couldn't let go of bodyboarding because I was I was better at it, you know. And I and I I I had to like like give up so much waves and give up so much rods. So I was like struggling. I was bodyboarding and surfing. Um, I guess it was I was skateboarding a lot, and the skateboarding really made me have to have to jump over full time to the surfing. But um, yeah, I remember ninth grade. I think I had a pretty good run of no bodyboarding, and I actually got a hold of a long. And um, it was like you, it seemed like I'd be like ninety one or something, but it's it seemed like you just did not see longboards. They didn't really have them for sale much in the shops. But I got a thirty five dollar board off the Morning Star Classifieds. Went down to Carolina Beach, got it from some dude. He slid out from under the trailer. It was a single fin. It was black on the bottom, and it was zebra striped on the top, and said uh, the Sultan. And the the team was sword, but I remember getting. I remember having some killer sessions at uh, at I remember one summer it just seemed like it wouldn't stop. Every morning, early morning, that South End was killer. I remember Carl Wallen being out there and his dad. It might have been the first time I ever saw Carl, but both of them were ripping. But yeah, and then somehow, sixteen or so, I faded back into bodyboarding. There were a lot of sick bodyboarders to look up to too. There were there were a lot of characters. There was um. There was a dude. There was a dude, Taco, who would who he worked in the um, restaurants. He was a lot older than me. Worked in the restaurants at Wrightsville, and he he never came out unless it was pumping. You only saw him like once or twice a year, and he'd be way out the back. And he had this crazy technique of catching waves, like a kickboard in the pool. He'd have his face in the water, and he would be on the sickest part of the wave, way out the back. And come through, and he'd pop up, and he could do a headstand on his bodyboard. He's just just cooking on this on the wave of the day doing a headstand that would blow my mind um phil williams and Jess johnson Jess was doing crazy stuff there was a dude uh tommy manning he was sponsored by wave rebel he, i remember him doing a double barrel roll at c street on a day and it blew my mind 
uh, Jimmy, who owns the or just sold the um, skate barn, he was sponsored at Bodyboarding, and he was pretty. He was really gnarly. And then there was a whole flock of dudes at Carolina Beach. Dude. There was a guy, um, W.K. Kennedy. He had a he had a Dodge pickup truck with a rag top, like a convertible pickup truck, and you could press a button and the thing would, would come up. And the dude could just he'd be at Pelican Watch, just laying the Mach Seven on a rail, drop knee. It was beautiful. And then, yeah, heaps of dudes down there that were Larry and Mike Brown. Larry Brown's big old dude. So I'm doing a drop in the air at a, at a Sun Skipper. But, yeah, the bodyboarding, bodyboarding amped me up. Still does. Well, this is a really interesting point I want to hone down on right now because you seem to have stayed with this bodyboarding on the East Coast because of the amount of waves you could catch. Do I have this right? Um, I mean, just that I did, yeah, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat shit, you know. I'd, ma I'd make every wave and everything, you know. It was just a bummer to fall, and I, I guess I just wouldn't. I was lazy, you know. I don't. I just well, well. I mean, this is or maybe it was the... my pride, you know. I liked being like in the. I wasn't the best, but I was like pretty decent at bodyboarding, where I was garbage at surfing. Well, in in this time period, the the shortboards um, could only probably still catch the same amount of waves as they could today. Uh, but today there's a lot more long boards, as you say, and foam boards, which is yeah. a, 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 um, a wave riding, a vehicle that you've, uh, uh, were one of the first to, to ride, I believe the BZ foam board later in life. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then the wave storm, of course. So it's like you, you traded, um, the being cool part say that I was searching for when I was a young uh, idolizing Kelly Slater and the Baywatch. Uh, but you were like, I'm going to catch as many waves as I can. I don't care what it is. It's going to be on a body board. And then later on you, you were at, you went to the phone board. Um, is, is, do I have this, this right? Man. Uh, yeah. I think you're giving me too much credit. I might, I mean, if everybody is a bit older, you can have to school and everything. Maybe nowadays, like, I don't care if you're riding the wave storm or whatever, but when I was younger, Bodyboarding was like, I mean, it wasn't like loved or anything, but it was, like I said, there were a lot of heroes, a, a lot of people making it cool. It was a lot cooler than it, maybe than it is now, but it, it could be even the opposite of what you said. I wanted to hang on to the bodyboard to be cool because I wanted to like, you know, like I was saying before, I was better at bodyboarding than I was at surfing and I might have had more it might have been a little bit to be cool. It might have just been to have fun because I was getting more waves. I don't know. But there was definitely some – I couldn't stand, like – like, I didn't like being terrible at surfing, you know? Like, like for the pride reason and for the plain old, like, man, I could I, I ate it on that. On the bodyboard, I would have been, like, falling in that. Actually, for a few years, bodyboarding, I didn't even go prone. All I did was drop me. I was, like, all over the drop me, probably, like, end of my body morning so on a recent episode we had maria fernanda from uh mexico uh excuse me um puerto escondido she's a water I, photographer I, I know her yeah i met her before dude yeah. seriously yeah i met her in puerto she turned me on to a really good um physical therapist really good masseuse there what? i can't think of name right now but yeah and her her friend there's a she, there's a girl she he shoots with a lot who I think is like the world champion of body surfing. But um, we haven't talked about body surfing yet, but body surfing is my everything. 
Um, and it probably comes from bodyboarding. And, and, and back to the wave storm. Another thing about the wave storm, there's a lot of reasons I love the wave storm. And, and like you said, I was in, I was in early. I was in, I was, I had ordered a, um, like a, a, I'd gone in on a part of a shipping container full of BZs right before the wave storm came in. And I was, I was trying to sell BZs in, uh, in San Diego. Cause I was like, mostly I just wanted to get people stoked. I was like, everybody's missing out and I could see it coming. I was like, every uh, 10 years from now, at some point, all the pros are going to have one of these in their quiver. Cause anybody who doesn't have one's blowing it. These things are, it's like surfing on a cloud, but uh, anyway, all over the place as usual, but the, no, um, no, that dude, dude, it's it blows crazy my mind. how much I, I enjoy the wave storm and it blows my mind. Cause I had a sport longboard pit since I've left town, Michael broke it in half, put it back together. And now Robert's broke it in half again. So it's kind of done, but this Stewart, it, it does a lot better turn than a wave storm. And I'm, and I'm like, why the heck do I ride the wave storm and not the Stewart? But there's a lot of little reasons why I end up having more fun, even though it doesn't quite ride as good. But one of my many theories is just, just like my, all the fun me and Michael had crisscrossing in the whitewater on the bodyboard, riding five or six bodyboards glued together, just like, you know, touches my, my soul or my inner child or something out on that. And they're soft. They're, they, they feel good. I, I always, you know, you introduced it to me a number of years ago, full disclosure, everyone listening, uh, Dave and I go way back. Uh, you, I, I never touched one before then I rode yours and I was like, wow, this is like another thing. And, um, you know, I want you cut the, as we're on the subject, what is with the hate the wave storm gets? Can you analyze that in surfing culture? Why it is that, that a, um, it is a, a hated thing. Um, well, there's a lot of reasons. A quick way to go, go click on Joel Tudor's Instagram. You can, you can, you can read all about it. I, I love Joel Tudor. I don't agree with everything he says, but man, I, I appreciate the character. Um, he's, he's my favorite. Um, he probably, he probably wouldn't like to see me paddling around then. But um, let's see, man, just playing on, playing on, um, they catch too many waves. I mean, that's, that's a problem right there. Like I love the stand up paddleboard. I love to ride a wave on any vehicle possible. I like long boards, short boards. They call body surfing pechito down here. Pechito. Any any way to, I really want to get one of those remote control surfboards. I want to learn, I want to learn the foil. I got three days under my belt and exactly no flying done. I just no success. But what am I talking about here? Um the hate of the hate storm, man. I'm not stoked to see a longboarder or a stand-up paddleboarder paddle one bit, you know? Like I'm just like, oh, the dude's gonna eat my cake, you know. So that that's one. And then I don't know. Um, I don't want to talk, I don't want to be negative and down on people, but you know, bit of bit of herd mentality and this and that, but like whatevs, you know, just ride whatever makes you ride what um what I'll say. Um I tell my students this when they ask things. Um Listen to your heart or whatever your little heart desires. Yeah. Just ride whatever your little heart desires, man. And uh and just get in where you fit in. You know, you'll you know, you'll you'll figure it out. Paddle over here, paddle over there. Um I try to I, I, I try to um, you know, like when you make a peanut butter sandwich, you don't clump it all in one area. You know, if I'm on the sub or the longboard, I try to I'll usually get a pretty long ride and I'll visit this peak and then I'll visit that peak and I'll visit this peak, you know, try to, try to kind of even, even out, kind of spread out the hate, if you will, but what else? <laughs> uh, 
I want to go back to Maria Fernanda and what she said. Oh yeah, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So so like like the um she shoots a lot of surfing, but she really loves bodyboarding as far as uh the people in in that in that bodyboarding culture. Yeah. Like she she kind of jives and meshes more with with that those those bodyboarding people. And I asked her I was like, "What is the difference here between the cultures of bodyboarding and the cultures of surfing like what is this difference and i pose this question to you like like because they're out there doing the same thing essentially playing in the waves but there's a distinct mindset that's that's very different between the two groups um man uh well there's a lot of little things but for for one man it seems like bodyboarding's a little more dead in the U.S. and maybe and probably even more on the East Coast for a good reason. The waves aren't quite there's not quite the waves to, to hold it up. Um, but a lot of places in the world, it's cheaper, you know. So it's 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 just easier for it's more accessible to a lot of people. And I mean, it's you ride a lot gnarlier waves. It just kind of attracts like kind of more hardcore people or whatever, you know. It's it's it's. There, there, there's a guy I don't I can't remember his name right now, but he's a former drop knee world champion, and I see him out um here here in Peru, and it's beautiful to watch him watch him. It's so fun, but especially drop knee dudes. And I met another met two drop knee dudes down here. I can't remember their names. One of them's like a at least a nationally renowned like bird expert here, and he and he's in punk bands, and he's just like it's um it attract I guess it attracts rebels like. You wouldn't think it, but I think I remember a long time ago, I, I think it was Pitt Bodyboard Magazine. They were free at Surf City. I'd take those home. But I remember Christian Fletcher um, writing something on the inside about how he, he I think he's friends with uh, Paul Roach, but just saying a lot of, at the time, he was saying he he got, he got on more with bodyboarders than he did with surfers. Like uh, he felt like more of them were into heavy metal and more of them were like, like, I don't know, like more hard, more hardcore or whatever. Um, Actually, another another topic people don't love either, but I live next door to uh, pro rollerbladers in San Diego, and they were awesome dudes, like completely changed my opinion of rollerblading. I was never a hater. I mean, I was just like, I, I don't think it was that aesthetic to me, but, you know, ride whatever you want to ride, you know, like whatever your little heart desires. But uh, bodyboarders, rollerbladers, these dudes aren't doing it for the chicks or the money. They're not doing it for the chicks or the money. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and some of them might even be doing it just to be a punk. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, you know, uh, Max girlfriend Carrie, but she, for a lot of reasons, she wasn't trying to learn to surf. And one of the things was it was like she's just got that inner death metal person that just wants to rebel, and, and surfing was just too popular. But I think there's some people that can't touch surfing or maybe skateboarding because of the X Games and stuff, you know. And then and, and and some rebels get attracted over that way. But yeah, man, I, I I love watching a bodyboarder. I mean, they 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 use a different a different line and stuff. I get I get super excited to watch bodyboarders. And and really, the bodyboarder can go to a wave that a surfer can't go to. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't honestly. I just body surf. I haven't bodyboarded in forever, hardly. But I'm meaning to grab one. I occasionally get on one, but they're too, these days they're all too skinny and too small. I looked online. I think uh, Jay Real has a little has a company, and he's got some kind of boat of a of a bodyboard. But man, I want one. I want one with some foam and to get out there every now and again. Very very nice. So 
uh, let's just go back in time a little bit, Morris. You're you're um, you're graduating high school. You're ready to uh, to venture out in the world. You make it to the West Coast. Yeah, man. Right. I want you to talk about the aesthetic of the East Coast versus the West Coast in your mindset. Um, man, man, the California has just always spoke to me. My, my parents took us on a quick little dip out there when I was in eighth grade. And somebody mentioned to me at the last second to uh, bring my wetsuit. And I was like, wetsuit? Southern California, it's tropical. There's palm trees, you know? They're like, no, no, the water's cold. And I'm like, what? And I, yeah, I'm, and, and with my parents, we, I mean, my parents, Malibu, that's where to go. So I went, I bodyboarded Malibu. Michael and Robert held it down on the beach. I couldn't believe how long the rods were. I couldn't believe like the, the mountain from the, from the water and, and even better, just the electricity in the air or whatever. Then my parents got us back out there. I think it was Pitt Bodyboard Magazine. We, um, we found a picture of La Jolla Reefs. We're like, right here, right here. And we turned up there and my parents, man, awesome but they uh just hooked me and michael up i think i was 15 or 16 i think i was 16 michael's 13 and they gave us um like 24-hour bus passes and let us just explore san diego and we're like we're, we're like la jolla reefs you know and we're cutting through rich people's backyards and climbing over the fence because we can't find the beach access and we somehow discovered wind and sea on our own and we somehow discovered blacks on our own but man, it was just everything, man. Just being in the street, like like I could just feel this is like the source, you know. This is like where my music comes from. This is where, this is it. And then let's see. So when I was 19 years old, I rolled out there with my friend Joe. Um, we we're at Appalachian State, and we rolled out there in his uh, like 1982 Chevy Suburban. When he picked me up, kind of a last minute thing, we put the seats flat and just picked the bed up off my at my parents' house, just took the mattress with the comforter and everything on it, set it in there, figured we'd save money on hotel rooms cruising across the country. And the plan was to uh, get there, get an apartment, get jobs at Subway and live off eating sub. And we got there and we applied at Subway and Joe had like one of the first cell phones or I think it was more of a car phone. It like hooked into the cigarette lighter or whatever, but Subway never hollered back at us till the end of the summer. And the only the cheapest apartment we could find was in OB. It was a studio for 500 bucks, and we were I mean it was tiny. And we, if we did it, we were going to throw the bed in there and just keep sharing the bed. But 500 bucks, man, I think a new board was like 350 back then. So I, we just couldn't stomach it. We ended up sleeping in the car the whole summer, mostly surfing blacks, skating UCSD campus. But it was like for a minute, I was like, there it went. The good old, you know, I just, I just peaked. It's all downhill from there. I, I accomplished all my dreams. You know, it's cool. Every, everything's, uh, everything's just gravy from here on out. But like, it's the good old, you know, there's the good old days, you know, like, I, I it's not going to get any better than that. And, um, but all right, bunch of background there, my rambling self. You asked me to compare the two. Um, the, I like how in, 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 in San Diego, especially blacks, just boom, boom, it just drops off, you know, and there's rocks and all and all this stuff. And it's just bam, hits right into it where you're you're rolling home from Appalachian State and it starts to get to these hills. And then you start seeing like little bits of swamp and everything. And then finally you get down. It, it's like it's 
It's like my dad, when my dad gets in the water, he's never going to do a cannonball. He likes to really ease his way in there. And that's how the East Coast does. And uh, it's not in a hurry to get wet, you know. And finally, when the when it ends, it goes, nah, it has a little spoil islands. And then, like, finally, it, and it's got that long continental shelf or whatever, but it just eases its way in. And the people, you know, the people are more, you know, like, 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 oh, when I get in the airport in Charlotte or whatever, and I just hear a southern accent, like my blood pressure goes down, you know, I just, and it, and it kind of goes with the water, you know, and you got to like, wait, your, wait, you got to like, I don't know, wait on your waves or whatever. But um, back in California, I don't know, it's like, like, I mean, the cultures go with the waves. I mean, I swear. I mean, look at the south end of Wrightsville, man. It, it's just, it, in the in the people in the people there, it's like it's cruisy, it's chillsy. And then look at look at Carolina Beach, bam! You know, it's got that it's 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 shallower. It's a little more, it's a little more. You know, um, you go but, up that bridge and you go down that bridge and then you're in CB. I, I love CB. I love all beaches, man. <laughs> we we were on the beach in CB back in the summertime, and and you were talking about just that that it's only as a plane flies about six miles away from Wrightsville, but it might as well be a six hour plane ride away. Like it's, it's there's that much feeling. Um, uh, uh, same thing, same thing, especially in California, you get on your bike and you ride your bike from OB to mission to PB to La Jolla, every single, every, and, and not just the beaches, man. I love all of California going on a snowboard trip, just get out to pee in whatever tiny little town everywhere has got like distinct style and just like so close together so many different cultures and they're all like like super unique but anyway while we're on the subject of, of culture and philosophy here you've done a lot of traveling what kind of stands out most to you besides these two locations uh around the globe that's kind of just like you you look back you're like hmm I mean, I, I I lived and worked in New Zealand, so that's the one that jumps out at me the most, man. I really I really loved living in New Zealand. That was that was can, really can, special. Can you take us there, man? Um, uh, how do I describe New Zealand or put us in New Zealand? I thought, man, I got I got a little over here. Planes rattling around. Well, um, well let, okay, let me, let okay, me, okay, okay, okay. I got go. you. I got you. I'll take. I got you. I got you. I got you. All right, we're in New Zealand. Um, I lived in Wanui. It was a uh, like a awesome beach break. I guess they compare it to the um to the one in France. I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, hogs, draw ho, ho. The, oh, dude, you're a kid too. Um, we don't know how to say it, but you know, it's like a, it's like a little. No, 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 no. Let, let me let me say one thing about about Hogsdra, whatever it is. Okay, I thought it was a um, pejorative like surf brand until like last year, and then I was like, I was on Instagram, I was like, what? This is a this is a place. So yes, I'm a big kook, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, um, there we go. So, so yeah, it, it's it's you know one of the better waves in New Zealand. Matt Quinn was on the world tour. Um, his brother Jay Quinn, they were my neighbors. Uh, but I mean, it's a it's a ferocious speech break. Like even when it's kind of small, you um, you just have no idea if you're gonna get a 
can't, I can't pronounce anything. Obliterated or not? Am I saying it right? Obliterated? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Obliterated. Okay, so so you, you, it's like full commitment, like just throwing yourself over the ledge, like like for even even a small day. Lots of offshores, lots of barrels. Um, it is in the man. I had a crazy house right on the beach, and and it it didn't have a shower inside. I only had a shower outside, but we'd have these. I think they call them southerlies. This cold wind blowing my shower away, and it was just so raw. And man, it was awesome. Um, Maori people, they they just the like Pacific Islander people, man, super super like honest and real. Um, I've only been to Hawaii once for ten days, but you know a lot in common there, just like real open and clear. And I would just hit it off with them really well. And another crazy thing I liked about New Zealand is it didn't like a big difference between like the upper class and the lower class like let like everybody's houses were about the same size no matter how much money you had i mean the rich people's houses were just a little nicer their cars were just a little newer but may, maybe in auckland they had some fancy whips but where i lived in, in gizzy it was like everybody just had some regular cars and if you're rich it was like a little bit newer but there just wasn't that much difference and um my girl worked at, at the time worked at the hospital and it said like ethnicity or something, and they would just write Kiwi, no matter which color they wore and stuff. And I, there, I mean, there's racial stuff and there's some stuff everywhere, but in a lot of ways there wasn't, and uh, it was a sick place, but okay. So there's, a lot of people know this, but there's more sheep than people. And it's, it's kind of a lonely place. You talk about that cold wind. And, oh man, I got, okay, the New Zealand stories are starting to pop out now, but I'm just, I'm just getting it down to just one little nothing of a thing, but this might be like the second time in my life I found out that like sometimes it's better to have a dream than get the dream. Like I think of myself as not a big partier. I'm getting up early to surf. I'm hardcore. But when I was living in that car in San Diego, I got five hours down into Mexico. I think Punta San Jose just past Ensenada and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm sleeping in my sleep bag, surfing this point. Um, my boy, Cool Hand Luke's hooked me up with an old school caster. People in San Diego would know uh, casters, but man, they're the best. Never had one that didn't ride good, but we're surfing this point break. Um, we're getting, have eaten lobster tacos from the fishermen right there. And after like two days, I was like, man, this sucks. I want people asking me to go to parties so I can turn my nose up at it and be hardcore. Like, this is boring. But God, that would happen sometimes in New Zealand. I mean, I'm just like coming out of barrels by myself. But okay, one coming out and, there, and there's just a bunch of sheep around, you know, and I'm like, I mean, it sounds like the dream, but sometimes, you know, I get really lonely and everything. But okay, one morning before work, um, my house is like, it's super freezing early, mo early morning in the winter there. But so I get a quick, quick couple waves before work, but I come out of this barrel and I look up and behind my house, there's these like green hills and there's this white horse galloping along the top of the hill. And it was just, I don't know, that, there's New Zealand for you. Come out of a barrel by yourself and white horse galloping on top of the hill. But I was, I was it had, had a little bit of a drop, you know, like, huh, you know, like I got my dream here and oh, it ain't quite it, but I'd move back there in a second. So you've um, you've been to Rotorua, right? Hot Springs, dude, Kerosene Creek. Yeah, man. I, I would. Uh, we, me and me and Carrie shared a car, so 
sometimes I would just hit, I had hitchhike a lot in New Zealand. We got, we, there's uh, vineyards around um, Gizzy. So I would take, people would always give me bottles of wine, but I would just give them away. But I'd go hitchhike and throw some bottles of wine, burn a few reggae CDs and the kiwi, the kiwi fruit, the golden kiwi, man, that stuff was good, but five bucks a bucket. I'd have a bucket of kiwis out by my outside shower, wolfing down those golden kiwis. But throw all that in my backpack, grab my 510 um, placebo, and hitchhike to uh, to uh, Raglan. And I'd always hit Kerosene Creek on the way, or especially if I had the van, I'd, really, I'd always sleep at Kerosene Creek and get me a good night. Did you hit Kerosene Creek? You know, that art piece by my uh, my deck there, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, man, the best, but... So I bring. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, wait, wait. Let me. Uh, why do I get this backpack full of gear? It depends on how long a ride you give me. You give me a couple hours, you get the wine, and you know, work your way down. Yeah, I like that. So those of you who uh, might not know this distance, um, uh, Gisborne, Gisborne is on the uh, east coast of the North Island, and Raglan is on the west coast. And in between the two locations is a, a natural hot spring. Uh, that has grown up as a large tourist community that has a lot of uh, paid hot springs that you pay money to. But if you look in the tourist guide back when they had tourist books, uh, you would find a place called Kerosene Creek, which was the only hot spring that was naturally occurring out of the ground and, and it fed all the other uh, paid concrete hot springs around. So you would go out into the forest uh, from the trailhead and find a, a natural uh, uh, waterfall, waterfalling, just beautiful hot water. And you get in this natural hot spring. And Dave, you are a, a hot tub to this day, contour. Yeah. Is this the location where you really discovered your passion for um, hot water? Oh, hell, hell no, man. Um, Black Aid Runner hot tub, middle school, man. I, I jumped over that fence and crawled in that thing to, to punctuate every session pretty much from when I was like 13 to 30. Um, yeah, man, I've, I've always been a fan. Uh, hot, killer, I, I hunt down the hot tubs all over the world, but Kerosene Creek might be number two. Anybody look in the hot tub, Mammoth Mountain, man, um, Hilltop Hot Tub, uh, it's, it's, or Hilltop something. Um, you, but it's, it's got two pipes and you can, um, adjust this thing and it's overflowing and you can adjust the temperature of the hot tub on the fly. But my, my yearly trip used to be 4th of July. They usually shut the mountain down. Then I take a few runs on the, on the groomers and then I'd hike the half pipe until it got so slushy. It didn't go, but maybe best skate park in the world at Mammoth also. And then I'd go camp out by that, uh, by that hilltop hot tub and hit it in the morning right when I wake up. But number one hot tub in the world, mammoth. So people these days, you know, cold baths are all the 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 rage. Yeah. You know, and I understand it's it's painful that you get out and the dopamine's flowing, but the hot tub is an enjoyable experience. Can you tell us more about the hot tub aesthetic? Um, man, I'm, I'm into the cold, I'm into the cold baths also. I'm always begging you guys to come over and get in my parents' pool in the middle of the winter. It's sick, but, um, yeah, the hot, hot tubs, man. I mean, why would you want to be doing anything else? Like, I, 
a lot of my life, I almost always have a hot tub. My parents have one right now. I have, I have one here in Peru. Um, I have an inflatable M-Spa from France. It gets to 108 degrees. I don't know if you can order them in the States. It'll get that hot. I doubt it. But um, let's see. Man, I, my body's always hurt. I just like soaking in there. And I like, I like to get like a milk jug full of water, maybe even two of them. And just go through it, stay in there until I'm like dizzy. But it's it's also the best way to hang out. I had uh when I lived in San Diego, I had a the first house I lived at, I lived with my friend's parents, and they had an unbelievable hot tub. And then when I went and got my own place, I would hang out there as much as I could. But I had every hot tub like in in San Diego. Like I knew the temperature, I knew the codes to get in. The lifeguards at the UCSD gave me a code to slide into that one. Um I was all over the hot tubs, but I was like, why would you want to be at a bar rapping with people? You could just, you know, grab a few beers. I used to bring my um, my book of CDs. I mean, a lot of my CDs were like a little bit wet and skiffed, but um, take my book of CDs, my boom box, plug it in at the hot tub. And yeah, I mean, I lived in San Diego 10 years and I think I jumped in the hot tub like over 90 something percent of the time i knew how to, i knew how to sneak in what the temperature was and what you could get away with at each one like some of them we could bring dogs you know um blast the music you, you know you knew what you could i had it wired but um okay the aesthetic of hot tubs that's all i got i mean you be what else would you be doing at night besides soaking in a hot tub and like it's not that hard to obtain. Like, how can I be soaking in a hot tub? Or anybody who's got a few bones in the bank and doesn't have a hot tub, what, what's going on there? I love it, Dave. I love it. Uh, so you've been around surf culture for for three decades at least, consciously. Um, how has it changed for the good and the bad? Um. There's definitely more people in the water, and that's not even necessarily a bad thing to say, but, uh, you know, the world's a gnarly place. We got to share it. Yeah, more people surfing, whatever. Get, get in where you fit in. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty, of, plenty of waves nobody's messing with. Go surf in front of uh, Dune Ridge or something if you don't like people. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember when I was a kid. Definitely more girls in the water. That's cool. Um, like you said, the phone boards and, and when I started, like everybody just wrote a short board, you know, like, like I was saying before, when we got that Sultan, that thing was a freak. Like you just, you saw an old dude with a longboard every now and again. Um, I'm trying to think, man, when I was younger, are there more kids in the water now or more old dudes? Um, I mean, I, it's it, obviously the surf report, surf reporting's better. It used to just be just go and just go and, you know, hope you roll up on something. I used to love calling the Surf City Surf Report. I think if they had some data, I think nobody called it more than me. I called it like 50 times a day from the crib at church. I'd say I had to go to the bathroom and they had this church, this uh, phone in my church and I knew how to press a button to get a line out and I'd call it and just call it again, you know. Um Man, I'd say the soul of it hadn't changed one bit. I don't know. I mean, you know, a little, you know, all kinds of little surface, little surface, this and that. But, uh, you know, just 
get right at the spot and take off, you know, like who cares what year it is. Oh, wait, one more one little New Zealand. Before before we found jobs, we took two laps around the North Island, one lap around the South Island, and we surfed all types of waves. But uh, whenever we catch just a decent beach break, my um my fantasy was always because I was homesick too. That's that's the only time I haven't seen. I didn't see my family in two and a half years. Like every I lived in San Diego ten years, and I've lived in Peru eight years. But anywhere I've ever lived, I'm I'm usually in town twice a year. And, and being a teacher for a good chunk of time. So I like, but this was gnarly for me not being there. I got, I got really homesick. But one thing I loved doing was I'd paddle out, I'd kind of squint my eyes a little bit, and I would pretend that I was at Masonboro, and it was 1982. Or, you know, I didn't, I didn't go over to Masonboro until about 88, 89 or so. Uh, paddling my boogie board over there without my mom knowing. Drop me off at Crystal Mall. But, uh, but anyway, I pretend it's like late 70s, early 80s. I'm at a time machine, and I'm just at like some empty, empty day at Masonboro. That's it. Tell, tell us more about this Masonboro. What's Masonboro? <laughs> oh, sorry. Just getting over being sick. Today was my first day back at work in a couple of days. Um, all right, I need to, um, I, I have one, I was trying to think of what my best surf story is. I have a couple, but uh, my, one of my favorites is about Bennett Casto. This isn't it. This is another one about Bennett Casto. He's the, um, he was my neighbor in Lansdowne, used to boogie board, surf and skate with him. He's a couple years younger than me. He's Michael's age. Um, but Michael told Bennett that if he went in Vito's Pizza and said, Mason, they'd give you a free slice of pizza. It was like the secret word. Bennett rolls in there and Dude, you stared at him. <laughs> but that's that's my that's my Mason Burr story. That's all you get. Nah, Mason Burr. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so when a, a person is agitated, and a person is not a surfer, and then a person is a surfer, does does the non-surfer um, do uh, anything different in their life than the surfer does? Or is it one of the same? Man, you all you always are a little bit over my head, Sean. I have no idea what you're talking about half the time, but I but but I love it. Um, okay, I, let me try to stand the question back to you and make sure I got it right. Okay, so everybody gets agitated. Does it make a difference if you surf or not with how you deal with agitation? Um, I, I'm I, honestly, man. I'm a fence rider. You know this about me. Too. I'm a fence rider on a whole lot of stuff. I can see both sides. I don't have like a, a strong opinion, but yeah, I would say in general, most people. I mean, myself. You know, yeah. You know, it's no, it's no secret. Exercise is good for mental health, you know. But for me, surfing's exercise and a little bit more. Like, I mean, it really, really can make a difference for me. That's that's why I want I wanted to get more crowded. The world's a gnarly place, and like. I want people to ha have that stoke. So I guess on that, I guess in that, yeah, in general, yes, yeah. If you if you surf, you're going to be less agitated. You're going to be more stoked. But the flip side is it of it is a lot of people really, really like struggle with the crowds or, you know, and surfing's really hard too. Um, I know some people that start when they're older. I, I bet I bet it would be really, really frustrating. Like I, honestly, I'm I'm one of the worst surfers 
anybody's ever met if you set up like a math problem and divide it by how many years they put into it like I don't care I'm really proud of what I can do I had that like I said two years to even stand up and you know it uh so I don't trip on that but I, but maybe because it's frustrating but I guess the main thing is the crowds some people um get at some people I don't and a lot of people kind of quit as they get older too I don't know if they're bummed on um they're bummed a little bit. I, I know this has got to be happening soon. I'm about to be 46, but I'm surfing better than I ever have in my life. I'm wondering how I'm going to deal with it really when, you're, when your body starts slowing you down. Maybe that's hard on people's pride, but I know for sure people get like really, really over the crowd and that kind of stuff. And I think surfing, so, so I, there's always exceptions, but yeah, okay. My answer to the question is, yeah, in general, 99% of people are more stoked than they say. And, and it, I kind of thought my whole life growing up that everybody was born to surf. Everybody would enjoy, enjoy it as much as I did if they knew. And I don't really love pushing people into waves or, or teaching people to surf. Um, I, my girlfriend right now surfs. It's great. But it, it's not really my – I've had girlfriends that don't surf, and I'm like, perfect, you know? Like, like go, do your, go do your thing. But I try to share it with them the same way I wouldn't wolf down some cookies in the car before I came inside, you know? Like, I try to share the cookies. I don't want – I don't want people missing out. So, um, yeah, I'm all over the place. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I think what, what we are, are saying is that surfing's hard and uh, it develops a, 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 a resilience. And, and I, I don't know, after a surf session where you're successful, when you're on land, you feel more powerful. You feel like you have this thing in you. And I think that that might be why like people gravitate to it because it gives you a, a power in yourself. Okay. But I digress. The, um, the, the, the world we live in today, uh, as you say, the, the surf is getting more and more crowded where, um, are there still places to go where you won't find many people? Hell yeah. I lived in San Diego 10 years. I, I had, I had all kinds of, uh, there's, there's a million. I mean, I mean, at Wrightsville, there's like I was saying, Dune Ridge, nobody surfs down there. You know I mean? There's, there's, there's tons of places everywhere, but um, yeah, I had, I had, a, I had some math formulas in San Diego when the waves are doing this, go here, go there. I, I had a great time. One of the most crowded gnarliest places was a South Mission Jetty near my house. But I figured out, I mean, one, I go there when it was blown out of shit and super windy and um, it was still fun. And then I figured out you go there in the middle of the night. It's like uh, the 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 um, jetty's like the Y-axis. And depending on how big it is, you could look at the silhouette of the thing in the night. And man, I mean, yeah, I got, I got my last two years in San Diego, I, might have been surfing more at night than the day. The South Mission Jetty is so sick, and just to be out there at night. Um, but you don't have to get near as, as as crazy as that. There's, I mean, it's super easy to find waves. Just you know, the world's the ocean's full of waves, man. Go get one. Where, where do you want to go that you haven't been? Europe. Never been to Europe at all, man. I want. We're talking about whatever that place is in France. Uh, I met a dude in Puerto Escondido. Super cool dude. I don't, he doesn't live there. He lives. He he lives somewhere. Somewhere. He surfs big waves, but there's there's beach breaks near where he lives. And uh, I hadn't talked to him in ten years, but I remember him commenting on one of my pictures. I'm gonna go scroll back there, click on that, 
and just be like, I'm on my way one of these days. Um, yeah, France, always wanted to go there. Um, uh, Taiwan, always wanted to go to Taiwan. Been looking at it on the map forever. In fifth grade, the map was right by my seat. And I was staring at, looking at all those weird little islands and places and stuff. But for some reason, I was always staring at Ta Taiwan. Um, yeah. So we have social media. We, we see more than ever all the waves that are happening in a given day. How how does one deal with seeing such um, just want and then deal with the FOMO? Deal with what? The, the FOMO. The FOMO. What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. You see the oh. waves on the social media, but you can't attain them because you might be inland. You might be at a, at a break where there's no waves. Uh, you might be at a break where the waves aren't that great. Well, what what do you um what do you suggest? I, I don't know. I mean, I know I know people have that problem. Uh, um, FOMO. Am I saying it right? Yeah, I don't get I don't get too much FOMO, man. I'm super grateful. I've caught I've caught so many waves. It's ridiculous. But as you know, I've had some horrible back issues, man. I was I was struggling from when I was 20 to 30. The whole time I lived in San Diego, I could like barely walk half the time. I mean, it was a battle to catch waves, but even even hurting that bad, I still caught with my, I had my little formula, big north go here, big south go there, it's flat, go there, go there. And any day I could halfway move, I'd go wiggle into a few waves and I caught a lot of waves then. Then I had a, I had a couple of back surgeries, but I had one that bumped me up a lot. And I lived in New Zealand, one of the most consistent places in the world. And I caught a heap of waves there. And now Peru is ridiculous. There's always surf here. And man, I'm so, so, so grateful for how many waves I've caught. And um, I don't trip at all. I don't really trip at all when I miss a session. Like sometimes, sometimes I'm a little bummed if I'm stuck on the beach. I'm, I'm still like, if I'm, I still have plenty of episodes where I can't surf. Um, I, got, I got more wrong with my back now. I got, I got my neck and shoulder kicking off. It's, it's rough sometimes, but I still just, I just head down and mind surf a little bit, take the dog on a walk wherever, wherever it's pumping. And, yeah, man. I, I know other people trip on that, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't really worry about it at all. I'm, I might be just a hair worried about. Um, we need to. I don't know. Get on. Get on over to, to Puerto a few more times before I start getting older. Um, because I am a little teeny bit worried that like, the window to get the best barrel in my life might might be closing. You know, and I wanna. I wanna like. You know, make sure to. And when I when I say Puerto, man, I'm not trying to say I surf Puerto. I, I'm on surf Puerto, except in the off season. But I love go. I love going there in the off season and uh, and pulling into what looks to me like the best sun skipper ever was, like on the regular. Describe the concept of mind surfing more. Um, I mean, just you know, I don't have anything too deep for you in this one. I guess you know, just watching other people surf, you know, just hitching a ride with them, just enjoying, you know, um, picturing what you might what you might do and this and that, or just I don't know, just feeling the um, just feeling the ocean, you know, just I'm down there on the beach, sitting there with my dog, and I can just feel the swell, you know, just feel feel the day. Do you have have to have ridden a wave in your life to mind surf? Well, I don't have a. 
maybe not. Um, probably, yeah, I guess probably not at all. I mean, I don't really have a context because I don't have another Dave that's ever ridden away. Yeah, but yeah, probably not. So you could go surfing without getting on a board in, in, even in the water, maybe. Yeah, I would say so. So you could you could ride many sorts of waves and go surfing. Sure. Are you saying like like surf simultaneous waves? You know, like your your vibe from your friend in the water, and yeah, definitely the vibe from the Oregon favorite with the trees, big green trees everywhere. At the beginning of this episode, bring it for full circle. You talked about um, light waves, sound waves, and surfing those. Um, could you say that what we just did was surfing? Sure. Yeah. 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 I think, um, oh man, this is making me think of uh, John Cardiel, arguably, maybe a lot of people say the best skater of all time or whatever. He had a, he had a gnarly accident. He got uh, he got hit by a car in Australia or the trailer of a car and got in a wheelchair like for a while. Now he can kind of limp around. He can roll a little bit. Didn't look, and he, he mostly rides those fixed gear bikes. He's a little older than me and like, you know, not just pro skater, like the pro skater. And like the gnarly kind, not like the the tech kind, like the huge going big kind. He goes goes bonkers on his bike. But man, he it's uh, epically later. Highly recommended. It. It's like a 10, 10 super long, like ten series thing. It's Vice Magazine did it a long time ago. But uh, at one point, he's talking about how he can still skate, and he talks about playing um like the little finger football game, you know, I never played it, but kids played it when I was in elementary school. You just fold up like a little football out of paper. And he's like, yeah, man, me and my friends can, and you just get into it. And you're just bobbing out. And he's like saying it's, it's, the, it's, he can still skip, he can still get the same feel, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. What, what they, they, in Hawaii, they say like talking story or whatever, you know, that sure. Well, Dave, you, um, you're a math guy. How has math played a role in in your water life? Um, or has it? I, it does for sure. Um, uh, all right. So, um, and I, I don't know how much to just start rapping on math and how and how how cool it is. Like it. Uh, I thought it was okay when I first started teaching, but the longer I teach, the more and more epiphanies I have, and just like it's so true. And everything it connects together and oh man um it's just get, it really 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 i know you're not a math lover sean but you don't even know man it's so beautiful man. well it's like he, more he, beautiful than you can imagine like just think of surfing you know when a dude pops up on white water and they're like man i'm loving it think of what's gonna happen when he gets on the bank he's he, he's he's in heaven think of what happens when he gets in a big barrel you know like maybe he never will but if he does these days, maybe five or six years, a dude can learn how. You know, well, well, well let, let, let's let, let, let's nail this. Hold on, Surfline is nothing but math equations. Yeah, the predicting the the predictability of a swell is a bunch of math equations. So, well, like, you, th you, does that does that relate at all? Because I, I I mean, yes, you're right. Math and me are like oil and water. I'm I'm not there, but you are yeah, there, yeah. and that's why I want to know. Well, sort of like Spicoli, you know, everybody thinks surfing, you're kicking back, drinking a margarita. On the That's a lot of work, a lot of work to be able to do 
surfboard. And then a lot of days it's hard to get out and people don't, people don't see that at all. They see surfing as nothing, nothing but laziness. And the same thing with math, man, it's got a horrible reputation, you know, or an unjust reputation. And like, there's so many people saying, I hate math. And the other teachers who teach other subjects are saying, I hate math. Your parents, your grandma, everybody hates math. And it's cool to hate math. And now, but like, like I was saying, like whitewater, you know, as you progress in surfing, progressing in math, you, you don't even know how, how beautiful it can be. But math, like skating or surfing, it can be like a lens for seeing the world. And I, I talked about San Diego and everywhere I live, I have a math equation for catching the maximum waves. You know, like I just, uh, an if then, I don't know, like a logic of, of where to go. And that that's, that's a good thing. But I guess. Maybe even being too addicted to surfing can be a bad thing. I don't know. But the math uh, has some downsides to it, too. It takes over my head a little bit. Um, sometimes when, when I'm, like, have anxiety and can't sleep, I call it math brain. And I'm, like, having I – mean, I'm halfway in my class trying to explain something and can't explain it. I don't know. Like, I get carried away with the math. And uh, where it hurts me in surfing sure, is – a lot of times I spend too much time counting waves, it's crazy stuff, but and counting other people's waves. But I, I have a lot of fear and anxiety because of my back pain. I, a lot of times I don't want to, like if I'm having a good session, I'm like, should I take my winnings and leave or should I roll the dice some more? And it's okay if my back goes out, you know, that's part of it. But, and, and when the waves are really pumping, it's so nice. The math brain melts away and I don't care what happens because I'm not going anywhere, you know? But it's like when the waves are medium, I'm like, all right, what's the re Or I don't want to overdo it with my shoulder. You know, some of these waves are really long paddle here. And, I, and I'm telling myself a n numbers and I'm counting waves. And, I, and I, sometimes I'm just like, stop that. And for some reason also, I'm counting my strokes too when I'm paddling. I'm like trying to gauge where I should set myself up. And I'm like trying to tell when to stop. And I keep saying numbers. I'm like, dude, just... Just drop that, you know. I'm sure nobody else has that problem. But anyway, that's my negative on the on the on the math. What is it about the the math? Do you think it's something you're born with, or can can this be a a learned uh, passion? I think for sure it can be a learned passion. I mean, you know, just gotta like, I don't know, take a step back and like drop the stereotype or whatever really really what math has to do with is skateboarding i mean they're like the same surfing surfing's i mean everything can be seen through the lens of math but skateboarding is like a, adjacent to math it's it's right next door they um there's not a lot like like surfing is really about fun it's it's wee it's like uh going down a water slide and there's a little bit of that in skateboarding. You you ride down a hill, or sometimes you're carving around a, a, a pool, or maybe that three foot out in Hampstead, and you're like, "Wee!" You're having fun. But but to, for me, the big bulk of skateboarding is landing tricks. Just the satisfaction. You do it over and over and over, and you land it. And that's not like a "wee" type of fun. That's like a "yes" type of fun, like a satisfaction, like the the board flips and catches, you know. And when you do the math it catches and you know you got it you know like you can almost mark your own test you know but it, skateboarding and math they're 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 satisfying as opposed to we so and they're and i remember skating matt waddell's driveway and and on kirby smith and uh in ninth grade on um in woodbury forest with phil panic and phil was like 
looking at this, we had like dragged, or they had dragged the parking block back there. And we, there, there's a quarter pipe, a ton of little things to skate, but there's a parking block. And and we're sitting there in the summer, we're covered in sweat, we're just chilling, and Phil's like staring at that parking block. And he's like, man, think about the ingenuity of the human race, man. And just put some wheels on a board and slot and some surf wax on a parking block and, and like learn to slide it. And I was just like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's really beautiful that like, like point, I don't know how to say it, but pointlessness is, is beauty, you know, like in a way, like it's so cool that, that, that people are, are, are trying to slide that parking block for no reason, just, just for the sake of doing it, you know, and there's a lot of answers to like why you have to study math, you know, some people are like, well, we're never going to use this in real life or whatever, but one teacher who was next door to me, he would always say, we do it for the beauty and the challenge. And that's the same reason you mess with that parking block in Matt Waddell's driveway, you know? But uh, I can't remember what the question was, but hopefully that answers it. Who Who is your math hero? Math hero? Um, Rob Hicks at Noble is pretty gnarly. I went in his class one time and he had him doing this project and I was pretty blown away. Um, oh, Dr. Dr. Allison Tony. Um, she grew up in Turtle Hall. Her older brother, I can't remember his name, but he's a gnarly surfer, and he has some big, uh, he's, I think he's Mike Greenwood's partner, and they have some big coffee thing in Wilmington. Um, but yeah, she's the, she is the best. Um, she was, in my, I didn't know she was going to be a math person. She was just, I knew her from, I think I met her in sixth grade, and then I think I ran into her in the airport one time and found out, I might have found out she was a math teacher then, but I went to UNCW for my master's, and man, she blew my mind. She was such a good teacher and just had so many amazing ways to put it. One, one of the things that the uh, Mesopotamian number system, I think, you know how like we get to uh, nine and, and then it rolls over when you hit 10, it rolls over, you know, we're, we're, we're based on tens or whatever. Um, this thing was based on 36s. You get to 36 and it rolls over. And then the second set, which would be like the team, like, or 11 to 19, you know, the, the second round, or the two-digit numbers. Now, I guess it would be like 10 to 99. The, the second set of them, it went to 38. And then from then on, it went to 36 again. And the way to say the numbers were like these canoes and dots. And it was like the worst thing to ever happen to you to try to understand this type of math. It's just like, what are you talking about, you know? Um, and I remember some of the kids in the class were so irritated. And they're like, why are we doing this? And they're like, I would never, ever show this to my kids. And I'm like, no, nah, man, we're not supposed to show this to our kids. We are our kids now. This is what, you know, algebra felt like to Sean. You know what I'm saying? Like making us do that Mesopotamian math. Harley. But yeah, um, Dr. Dr. Tony, woo. She's a Kelly Slater in math. Oh, one more Dr. Dr. Tony story. Blew my mind, man. Um, I love telling kids it's okay to make mistakes. Like I don't have any tattoos, but I think you put a, you took a picture of me. I was thinking about if I had to get a tattoo, I had that heart drawn in there, but I have mistakes written in the middle of it. It's all about like learning from your mistakes. And I get, as you can feel right here, I get super excited. I'm thinking two steps ahead. I make heaps of mistakes. And that's like the best thing about my teaching and the kids can correct it. And I'm not embarrassed about it at all. And I, that, that's where the learning happens. 
But one time I was having trouble with some kind of math problem that was like pretty low level. It might even it might have been a middle school math problem. It was for some kind of paper I was writing or whatever. But there was something that was tricking me up, and I took it to Dr. Tony, who's the best mathematician I've ever met. And this was so huge for me. She's like, I can't remember how that works. She grabbed a textbook and had to reference something, and it was like so beautiful to me that Dr. Tony doesn't know everything. Like it's totally cool to like, like, like math, like it's, it's like, it's like tools and learning how to work on cars. Not that I know how to do that, but like, and you might forget, but then you figure it out again, or you know what to reference. You're like, I know it's not this tool. It's one of those two. Let me check the book or whatever. And it, and it was so sick to me that it was like, okay, okay to be wrong. And the school I work at right now, is probably, it's one of the top schools in South America. And I got in by like my toenails, man. These guys are these guys are gnarly. And a lot of times I have to ask my colleagues for help, like, hey, I think it's like this, I think it's like that. And about maybe 25% of the time, some of these superstars don't know. And they have to pull a Dr. Tony and reference something. And it makes me feel so good that I'm not a complete donkey, that like they don't know, they don't know it either. But it's like it's a it's a really important thing to pass on to the kids and, and, and everything. Like you don't have to, you know, it's okay not to know everything. Dude, and that is so true. And the key word is yet, because you don't know yet. And you can find it out. And there's no sense beating yourself up because you don't know everything. No one knows everything. And and you can change your mind later, too, if you think you know something. But I digress. Let's talk about skate and calculate. Yeah, man. Um, here we go. Uh, January, you got a kid in eighth grade, www.skateandcalculate.com. We got an hour, of, uh, an hour of eighth grade math, and then, and then an hour to do your thing. If you want to skate, if you want to just hang out, want to do some homework, whatever, but, um, yeah, we're going to be doing it. And, um, it's, it's math. It's, it's not exactly math tutoring. It's kind of like, um, preventative tutoring it's kind of like um like instead of focusing on patching up your holes in the game it's it's uh it's like progressive we're, we're trying to follow the new hanover county the same curriculum but we're just trying to hit, hit them with the concepts a week or two ahead of time and we can really take our time get conceptual and the idea is the kid's going to roll into class he's going to have a little teeny bit of a head start he's going to have a better experience a better experience with math He's not gonna not gonna end up like Sean. Like he's, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna feel it, have a better experience, which obviously will lead to a better experience in high school and, and and beyond in math. But not just math, because when you're killing it at math, you feel smart, you know, and that's gonna bleed over into your other other subjects and maybe even to, to life or whatever. But um, yeah, eighth grade eighth grade's gnarly. It gets more abstract. And the kid, it's it's just such a bummer to get on that that train where you're like always behind, always frustrated. Like it's it's hellish to feel like you're messing with uh, Mesopotamian numbers. We're gonna try to get them ahead of the game, but yeah, eighth. Um, you got an eighth grader? Holler at me. Where are you doing it? Seventeenth um, Street. Thanks, Will. Muchas gracias. They got a private skate park back there in the um, in the warehouse, and we're gonna um, we're gonna get our math on in the warehouse. What a great location right next to UNCW on College Road, uh, right in front of Sam's Club, as I believe. Uh, yeah. 
Dave, can you make a special exception for a sixth grader and a third grader? Come on, man. Um, man, just just come hang out, you know. Like like let the the third grader kind of sleep a little bit. Roll, come 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 out. It's like a one hour skate session. Come out and roll around, and then and then kind of like lay on a yoga mat or whatever, play with some paper, soak up fifteen minutes of math, and cut. The sixth grader can probably just roll. I mean, the, the class is designed for for eighth eighth graders. If you had a ninth grader who who maybe even though you know that's not really my thing, maybe in the future it will. But I'm just I'm starting with just focusing on eighth grade. But if you had a ninth grader who's a little behind and just wanted to you know brush up their foundation, they could cruise out. But really, really, a real good person for the class would be a seventh grader who wants some challenge. Because in eighth grade, the, the top seventh graders, they skip the math eight course and they go right to math one or algebra, the ninth grade course. But they still, at least when I was teaching in, in North Carolina, they still had to take both in the year test. And there were, you know, the math eight wasn't so hard for them. They're, they're working above it. But there were a few topics that could be left out and a little fuzzy. So I remember that was kind of stressful, stressful for them. But yes, yeah, so if you had a, if you had a super seventh grader, they might, you know, might want to come cruise out, maybe a, a sixth grader who's really keen, but really the thing right now, we're just focusing on, on eighth so, grade. So are you going to, is it, is it a lesson format or is it kind of like everyone's at a, at a desk and you're walking around? Like, how do you visualize this? Um, yeah, I have the, I'll have, um, the, I'll, I'm going to have three tables and, I might, I might slide the numbers around. I mean, we got, we got to kill it. You know, like we're here, we're here to save the world. We're here to make the world a better place. Like if the, if the, I mean, I'm only, I'm only doing the class one day a week to really tweak it and get it perfect. But the idea is three tables with three kids at each table. And um, it's, it's not too much different than how I teach a regular class. Like I see myself as a DJ and I have my set list. We're, we're starting with this jam and we're working our way to this, to really getting the party jumping, you know, and as we go, oh man, this is too slow for him. I can skip forward or I can, sl or I can slow it down. I'm planning on, I'm trying to sort of write a textbook um, and I'm going to have, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have the, have my problems and have my set list and just let them, let them do problems. And um Kind of same thing I do in class in a, in a normal class, just with smaller, less groups. I try to. Um, I was at, I, I taught at Cape Fear Community College a long time ago. I taught this like supplemental accounting course, and they gave me this crazy training where you were supposed to teach the entire class without ever telling them anything, just asking them questions and leading them to it. And that's a little idealistic, but I try to use that as much as I can. You know, I'm trying to stimulate the conversation and get them to figure it out, you know, and, 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 and I can't just ask questions. Sometimes I got to give them, throw them a bone or whatever, and then get the kids up front explaining it to each other. And yeah, just it, the, the idea will be like, we're not in any rush. We can, we can, we can, we can scoot back and just say like, what are we doing? And why does it work? So you're, you're making math cool. Taking it to the streets. Are you thinking of getting any UNCW uh, uh, pre-teachers in there to help you out? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've thought of that. I remember I had to put in, when I, when I was getting my master's over there, I had to put in a bunch of volunteer hours, and I'm, I I know which teachers I'm going to go hassle, and I'm going to tell them which kids to send me, because uh, when I was at Noble, 
man, I hate to be negative, but man, they sent me some duds. <laughs> some people playing on their phones and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to try to cherry pick a few good ones to come over there and take some laps. And they can, they can. I'm not a perfect teacher at all. There's some things I rip at and some things I'm weak at. But uh, yeah, I think it can be a win-win. Probably probably fish for a few of a few of those guys to come over and help. So, do you think this might be a a business model you could take onto the internet as far as branch it out bigger than Wilmington? Um. The internet, ugh, you know, I ain't gonna do that. Um, now nah, I'm gonna, um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna try not to get carried away. I've thought of like phase one, phase two, and I've thought of a couple phases, but I'm gonna try to not get carried away. Like, like phase, phase two is gonna be like as far as I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm, we'll see, we'll see. But I, I don't want to let it get too out of my hands. I want to keep it small, and I want to keep it like if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna crush it. You know, parrots skate and calculate. It's coming uh, January twenty fourth. Dave's 23rd, got a wait. Yep, twenty third. Uh, get get your uh, pre. Are you are you keeping a cap on how many kids? Yeah, we got room. Um, we got room for we got two classes, so eighteen to eighteen tops, so nine in each class. I'm doing two class a class at four and a class at six, and then a, 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 a like a skate jam from five to six. I mean, what am I even talking about? I got a class at four and a class at five. And yeah, check out the website. It'll make sense. There's a little schedule. Beautiful. Skateandcalculate.com. All right. Hey, I feel like, are we fading now here? Are we, are we rolling? Are we on, are we on? Yeah, we're, we're wrapping it up. I have one more question for you. Okay, what, before you... the question, I got to go back to Bennett Casto, um, the dude who was standing there at Vito's Pizza waiting for his free slice. Um, <clears throat> I got a couple of my best ever here i don't think i hit many of them or any of them but that's okay we'll save it for we'll save it for next time um but there was one i really wanted to, to sneak bennett in. Ah, we'll get this one with bennett's great okay i'm in we're on the boogie boards we're on our 200 mantis um Phil Williams was sponsored by Manta. I got one kick down for 40 bucks, had a big bubble in it where it got in the sun. Actually, that's all I ever got was the $40 one with the with the little, uh, like a, what's it, in cars when the air, air bubble, what's the thing called? The Airbag? Airbag, yeah, I had a built-in airbag for impact. Big old bubble right in the middle of it, but it was a sick one, this Manta. But my brother had new ones from Surf City. They're from Australia, Manta. They're the sickest. That didn't have anything to do with anything. But uh, I'm in ninth grade. So Bennett and Michael are in seventh grade. And, then, and Crystal Pier is much longer at the time. And on the south side of the pier, there was always the sickest left that came off the pier. And um, but we weren't getting that. We weren't getting many of those lefts this day. There was a dude. Um, I don't know if I should say his name or not. Ah, whatever. But Josh Buttball, He's a sheriff now. Um, he was a senior, and he was tough, man. He had some tattoos already, I think, his senior year. He skated, he surfed. Um, he had an earring. He had long hair. And he was just he was just a, just a bad dude. I remember um, John Blanchard, um, great skater and real, like, ballsy dude. He shot him with a water gun at school, and Josh just turned around and spit on him, you know, like uh, – but you don't you don't mess with Josh. You give him his room and a couple other other dudes over there with the left. And we're kind of sitting to the side. 
And okay, I think about I think about Bennett, man, not graceful. Um, he when he when he as a surfer, even on the bodyboard, the dude could not finish a wave without maximum splash. Like he was pretty, he was a, he was a competent surfer and everything. When he was at, when, a few years past this, but he never like it, I remember I really was proud when I could kick off a wave, catch the board in my hand. You know, I don't want to like yard sale out the end of the way, but Bennett, power yard sale, like just plays biggest splash, and he'd usually throw like a in there with it. But uh, this was always every wave you ever caught. So uh, anyway, we're waiting for scraps over at over at the south south side of Crystal, and a bomb comes off the pier. Josh drops in. And I look, and then it just goes. Like, he didn't see Josh, and he cuts off Josh. And I just like, <gasps> and then, then it was kind of a, kind of a, um, like, a, like me, like a bit of a clown and stuff. And then, then it decided this time would be the time to yell, I'm an airplane, and throw both his arms out like he's an airplane, and dropped in straight like that, and just crashed right into Josh. The wave breaks on both of them. They're they're completely tangled. Like I just I can't even imagine. Like like all crushed into them underwater. And then Bennett comes up with his normal like flailing his arms. And Josh comes up like oh, and, and Bennett's little arm leash is wrapped around his throat. And every time Bennett's flailing his arms, it's jerking Josh's neck. Josh is got his got his fingers in there. And that's where that's where my memory ends. But I know I mean. What are you gonna do? Uh, uh, you know, you're in twelfth grade. You can't stomp a seventh grader. You know, I mean, it, no, nothing happened. I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was um, I don't know, one of my favorite experiences in the water of all time. Just <laughs> watching Bennett Bennett Casto choke Josh Pop off. That is a good one. That is real good. Yeah, Dave. Um, last question. Yeah. I know it's going to be something I don't understand or can't answer, but give it to me. Well, what what's the meaning of life? You bastard, man! What do you guys? Nobody listens. Okay, hold on. Let me try to come up with something. Um, Dang it, Sean. How do you do this to me? Um, we might got to cut the podcast right here. I'll try to say something. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, man, I'm a terrible conversationalist. 90% of everything I say to you, or to anybody when I'm talking to you, it's a pre-canned speech. And I found one I'm going to hit play on. You know, it's, it's garbage. I wish I could come up with like original stuff I've never thought before or said before. Um, but I, I think a, a while back, maybe a year or so ago, we talked about doing one of these podcasts. You asked me like what, what like the big point of it was or what we were looking for. And you said it was like something close to that. But like there's a message you're trying to give the world or something you're trying to say to the world or whatever. But okay. Um, I'm a fan of absurdity. Um, like Josh getting choked by Bennett, 
and, and things like that. Um, but I like, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, in, in, in my life, I've always been on a mission for the, for the real and for the unique and for the special stuff, you know, like, like Kerosene Creek or whatever. Like I'm just, I'm trying to, uh, in surfing, man, we didn't hardly we didn't really talk about it, but what is what is surfing, man? It's WK Kennedy in a drop top pickup truck. You know, it's it's like it's the characters, you know what I'm saying? But when I'm listening to music, when I'm reading books, when I'm looking at art, I'm looking to be confused. I'm looking to be shuffled. I'm looking to say, you know why I'm getting in that picture, you know what? It's and you just feel like that little bit of little bit of bit of confusion, that little bit of um uh, of shock or whatever, you know. And that's that's what I'm looking for. And and I feel like like I look like I'm kind of a unique dude or whatever. But man, I got my habits and my routines. And I think that that like the world gets a little boring or something, and it gets uh it gets kind of kind of stale. And you need things that make you that confuse you or shuffle you up a little bit. And I'm looking for that. And I'm trying to give that, you know, like, I think it's important to, to like, to like stir things up just a little bit. There's, um, I think from the Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out when I was in eighth grade, that Chili Peppers, I think the song's called, um, If You Have to Ask or something. Um, but he, but he's like, I was born to storm on boredom's face. And, uh, especially when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I was born to storm on boredom's face. Now I'm a little tired or a little older, but it, but it's kind of, kind of like that, like, I'm. I don't know, man. I'm 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 looking to shake it up just a little bit, or just like I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite getting that um getting that articulated, but that's uh yeah, that's all I got. That that that's one of the best I've gotten in 24 episodes of Speaking from Water, and that is your 24th episode, ladies and gentlemen, Dave DeRosco. Thank you very much for spending your valuable time with us in Peru. You only have a few more weeks. I hope these four weeks are extra special for you. Domino, thank you for joining us also. Domino, ladies and gentlemen, is Dave's dog. Dave, tell us about, a little bit about Domino before we go. I am the Domino. You are not the Domino. All right. We are the champions. We are the champions of the world, of the world. Yay, you got to cheer. He'll be embarrassed. Yay. So you found Domino on the streets. Is this right? Yeah, man. Um, right out right out here. I was walking back from a party on Christmas, actually. He's a Christmas miracle, aren't you, buddy? But uh, yeah, I found him. I thought he was lost. Um, put up some posters, couldn't get any responses, took him to the vet. They told me he'd been in the street for a while. And I'd always wanted a dog, but I, I needed to settle down before I had one. And uh, finally, I don't know, I should have, you know, whatever. I'm super stoked. Like, should have done it sooner, but. Uh, How many times has he been to America? Uh, six times. He's been to Costa Rica once. And what you know about the dirty south, dummy? I've been there six times. <laughs> Very impressive, Domino. I um, I thank you, Dave, for this time you spent. And 
I look forward to seeing you soon uh, here in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. Yeah, man. Miss, miss you guys. Um, miss you. And uh, I can't wait to enroll my students in your math class. Yeah, man. All right. Peace.